This episode is brought to you by Rockstar Energy Drink. Be honest, are you procrastinating by listening to this podcast? It's okay. You just need Rockstar Focus. Choose from three delicious flavors, each crafted with ingredients for an ideal energy and mental boost, like lion's mane, 200 milligrams of caffeine, and zero sugar. Visit rockstarenergy.com to learn more. At least 75 milligrams of caffeine has been shown to help improve attention. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the bun with crunch. Hi, it's Jane here. Before we get started with this week's podcast, I want to quickly mention something that we need your help with. We want to make a show that you love. And by giving up a few minutes of your time, you can help us do that even more than we already do. If you go to radiotimes.com forward slash podcast survey, you can share your thoughts about the show and then you'll automatically go into a draw to win one of five £100 Amazon vouchers. Now, on with the show. Hello and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. We are the place to go if you want the best advice and the toughest sometimes criticism you'll get anywhere, because we, we can be harsh, can't we? <laughs> yeah, I don't know who actually is the harshest critic out of the uh, two of it's us. It's definitely you. I'm much the nicer of the <laughs> two of us. We're also here to dig out some TV nuggets and just to point you in the direction of televisual quality. Uh, this week, what have we got? We've got Starstruck, which fans of Rose Matafeo will be delighted to hear. This is back for a second series. We have The Millionaireess and me. Yes, I think it's fair to say it's a strange documentary coming soon to Channel 4 and we've got The Teacher starring Sheridan Smith, everybody's favourite. Oh yeah, and now this was on Channel 5, it's still available of course on My 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of chatter about this on Twitter, it got people going didn't it? It did, I think people are quite scandalised by the, the, the idea that a teacher might have an affair with a pupil, so we'll be delving into that in a little bit. Yeah, not just any teacher but one called Miss Garvey. Oh um, yes, of course, yeah. Jay Garvey. Absolutely, I did actually, every single time her name was mentioned I'd go, oh! 
I've got, I've got a tiny electric <laughs> shock. Completely passed me by. Yeah, it didn't pass me by. <laughs> and we also have um, Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux, big oh, name huge. on this week's uh, podcast. He has made three new documentaries for BBC Two. And um, essentially, they're a look, I suppose, at, at content makers in the States. Uh, there's one about the far right, one about rap's new front line, and about the porn industry. Now, for that last documentary, I asked Louis what it was like to be in the room when porn actors are at work. As you know, Jane, I'm a professional and I'm always in a work mode. So even if it were sexy, I would disable my sexy circuits for the, <laughs> for the duration of the shoot. Listen, some of the women are obviously attractive, but when you see the nuts and bolts, no pun intended, it's quite evidently not being done for pleasure for them a day at the office. And so that's not yeah. particularly sexy. That just gives you an idea of the flavour of our conversation uh, about that. It's quite, how can I describe it? It's, it's an honest exchange uh, about pornography. I feel like you would have been in your element in like grilling Louis Theroux about I this. I was looking forward to it and he did not let me down. Good. No, he did not let me down. And it's a very, I've seen two of those three documentaries. I haven't seen the one about rap. But, you know, he's he's good, Louis, mm. and he his programmes are always... They're talking points, and uh, he does not disappoint. Also, in the Radio Times podcast this week, we've got David Butcher from the Radio Times magazine. He's going to join us with a selection of pass-through docs to explore um, and just really telling us about why Louis is such an interesting and distinctive and sometimes slightly divisive filmmaker. <laughs> TV news of the week, I suppose. We should say BBC Three is back, yes. actually, on television. It is. All this toing and froing with BBC Three just seems completely pointless, personally. I've said this before, I'm somebody who likes to pick and choose when I watch something. I will always watch this kind of stuff online. Yeah, so as a matter of course. It won't make a difference It's not going to make any difference, no. And I suspect for anyone of your generation, it's not going to make any difference, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know anybody really who watches live TV well, anymore. You, you do know me a bit. Of my generation. Okay. <laughs> Very careful to phrase that. Um, so it's back, and uh, whenever I see the trails on terrestrial television, um, <laughs> it, it seems so try-hard. I'm just exhausted by them. I suppose you haven't even seen them, have no, you? I haven't. And there we have the BBC's issue in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, so to the reviews of the week and to Starstruck. This is series two. It is on BBC Three with repeats on BBC One, and of course there's a box set on iPlayer uh, where you can also find series one of a show that really struck a chord with lots of people. What is Starstruck? So it's a bit of a twist on the the old rom-coms, like the sort of Richard Curtis rom-coms of the 90s. It's a bit of a twist on Notting Hill, the ordinary girl falling in love with an up-and-coming actor. So Rose Matafeo, who is an incredibly funny, brilliant comedian, I love her, and Nikesh Patel. So they kind of gradually fall for each other in series one. And it is classic rom-com stuff in and around London over the course of a year, trying to overcome loads of obstacles that have been put in their way. Series two picks up exactly where series one left off. She's about to go home. She is, yes. She's about to permanently... Jessie is permanently moving to New Zealand until Tom stops her and they stay on a bus, not getting off at Heathrow. And this is all about the sort of what happens after the happily ever after ending. And what happens is mainly panic because Jessie realises 
that she has to restart in London. All of the issues that she was leaving behind are still there. Her parents are cross because they paid for her flight and made her bed up back in New Zealand. That was the bit I really related to. Do you know what? I could see you nodding along to that in my mind's eye. Well, it's a pain in the neck putting fresh sheets on a bed. (laughs) And if they're not going to be used, it's really irritating. We better have a clip, actually. Here we go. I spent literally the whole day trying to make you feel okay. I shouldn't even be here. I'm supposed to be in Ireland right now. We're all supposed to bloody be somewhere, mate. Look, I'm going to go to Magic Mike live, and I don't think you should come. Well, I never wanted to. Well, you clearly have no taste. Fine. Fine. Can you be the one to leave, though? Because I want to play that pinball machine over there. She's a really big deal, Rose Matafeo, isn't she? Yeah, she is. I think she's just very relatable in her humour, and she just sort of says what's in her head. She really um, explores that awkwardness of being in your late 20s, early 30s. On the cusp of something. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite knowing what to do with your life. Well, knowing, actually, that you could make a decision at this point in your life Mm -hmm. that could really have huge knock-on effects for what happens over the next 40 or 50 Mm -hmm. years. Can I also say, is it okay to say that I think she appeals because there is an ordinariness about her that I found very welcoming because you know sometimes you see these and it is women who watch other women on television Mm -hmm. and just think well you know she's nothing like it just feels like a hopeless standard that the rest of us could never achieve yeah she's an every woman and I do mean that in a really kind of it is a compliment compliment yeah Yeah, because if you if you also she looks like Mirabelle in Encanto which we've reviewed on the podcast before the Disney animation and she really does look like her and and so many children have been looking at Encanto being like, oh my god, there's a girl that wears glasses and has frizzy hair and all the rest of it looks like me and not a perfect princess. And that is exactly how we still feel 20 years later, seeing Rose Matafeo on our screens going, oh my god, I might not look exactly like Rose Matafeo, but I certainly can relate more to her appearance than I can to most other actresses that we see on our screens. Yeah, and I'm afraid it it is really significant. And it's it's also still relatively unusual Otherwise, we wouldn't both have noticed it, would we? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think Nikesh Patel has an element of that as well because, you know, he's he's Indian for a start. They have this great line in it about, because he's called Tom, um, about him being given a white boy name and they make, they make a joke of that. And that it feels really important to me. When I interviewed Shazad Latif for Toast of Tinseltown, um, I kind of spoke to him about having characters named after either people from your own culture or just really English Mm. names. And I think it's important that they sort of flag that he has an English name specifically why. So so this is what I mean. It's very relatable. These are honest conversations that are being had. I I really like this. I really love the world just because it's so recognisable. There are six episodes of this, all available as a box set. And I imagine lots and lots of people will just consume the whole thing in one big gooey go because they care so much. It'll take you three hours. Lovely. (laughs) And it's probably going to rain. So, listen, treat yourself. Um, That's Starstruck. Um, BBC Three is where you'll find it. Uh, Repeats on BBC One and the box set on the iPlayer. Next up, we come to the documentary we have a few concerns about. It's going to be on Valentine's Day on Channel 4 at 10 o'clock. That's Monday the 14th of February, of course. It's The Millionaire-S and Me. Well, here it is. Meet Amanda Cronin. She's one of the richest women in the UK. Property, arts, jewellery, trips, travelling. I have what I want when I want. I can have it. She's spontaneous. I can be completely wild. 
fun. It can end up in a jail cell in Monte Carlo. Sometimes outrageous. Come into bed with me, Mark. What side do you like? She's got everything she could ever want, except one thing, and that's where I come in. I'm everything she's not. A rough diamond who's been homeless and even spent time in a Dubai jail. But now I'm a documentary maker, and what Amanda wants is recognition, a voice, her own TV show. Do I want to be famous? Yeah, I do, actually. Well, that gives you an idea. The setup, well, it's pretty obvious from that, is that Martin, the documentary maker, who's had a he's had a tough life and quite an eventful one, is trying to show a hugely privileged woman another side of life. Mm. Does does it work? <laughs> we are led to believe that she is a wildly rich lady. Yes, uh, she certainly lives a privileged and some, frankly, would say indulgent and rather silly life, mm-hmm. somewhat vacuous. Yeah, I think you disliked her more than I mm. did. I, I felt at times that she was always friendly and polite to people she met along the highway. I thought she was incredibly superior oh, most of the okay. time. <laughs> and right. and what really annoyed me from the very beginning was you you see her talking about this. The reason why she meets Martin is because she had commissioned a, a bespoke handbag from one of his friends. We've all done it, darling. And then refused to pay for it or didn't want to pay for it because um, it was two grand. And, you know, she is one of the richest women in the UK, which surely two grand is a drop in the ocean for her. But she haggled because she can. And she said she would do it. She would take it for exposure and wouldn't pay for it. Anyway, they came to something and that's how Martin met her through this friend. It just made no sense to me why no. then you would give this woman even more exposure for abs- doing absolutely sweet FA. We were, we were led to believe that they had established a sort of friendship. I wasn't sure I really believed in that either. It just, it felt incredibly one-sided. It's, it seems that this woman likes to surround herself with people who fawn over her and Martin was not a objective documentary maker he was very very happy to be on camera as much as possible as her friend and confidant getting into baths with her getting into bed with her as we just heard in that clip i have to say it's interesting that we're talking about this in the same podcast edition as louis yes it's a really interesting contrast because they are both on camera yeah um but i don't think we never see louis through with pretensions of holding a boom or holding a camera in the same way that martin is trying to say that he is making the films but is also a presenter on them but doesn't do a good job of interrogating her at all. No, but you might say, oh, he's letting her dig her own hole. Uh, Yeah, I... uh, I mean, it's... It is possible that that was his intention. I don't know. I don't think so. He d- it doesn't seem an intelligent enough documentary for that. It doesn't feel like there were any real points to be made. Yeah, I, I'm, I am, I'm not entirely in disagreement with you, and I'm slightly wondering why Channel 4 are showing it, if yeah. I'm really honest. It, se- it seems a peculiar, very lightweight concept. I mean, I thought it was really performative from the very beginning when you see him and she's looking at her handbags, which is really similar to the to the um, Dubai documentary. Dubai documentary yeah. Exactly. Um, she's showing, and he he says to the cameraman, "Come here, get a, get a shot of this." And I just feel like you don't need to tell ca- like documentary cameramen where to put the camera. They know he was already going there. That felt really performative from his perspective it was just little things like that i just felt this guy is calling himself a documentarian a filmmaker i have not i don't see any evidence of that no i I was actually though interested in his life story which never was hinted at i mean he said he'd had this extraordinary journey he'd been homeless Mm. he's been in jail i mean it makes me want to ask well how how have you achieved suddenly becoming a documentary maker 
commissioned to make a show for Channel 4 mm. when you'd been through all these others. I'd like to know how... I mean, maybe there's a documentary to be made about him. Yes, yes, Although perhaps. possibly not by him. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I just find this whole thing a bit curious. I found it all a bit sickening and perverse, to be quite honest, especially at the end when they were... It was almost like sort of poverty porn where they had her serving cups of coffee and saying how much she loves to feed people and she would do it every weekend if she had the opportunity what else are you doing well, do it then okay channel four stick that on your posters sickening and perverse says <laughs> rihanna dillon not that i'm dramatic at all in my reviews <laughs> on the millionaire s and me see for yourself monday the 14th of february at 10 o'clock on channel four now, we love to hear from you. The address is podcast at radiotimes.com is one way to communicate. Or you can do what Wurzel Girl did and do it on Twitter. She just says, I love this podcast. It's a highlight of my week. And then she spoils it a bit by saying, <laughs> I may need to get out more. Not at this time of year, Wurzel Girl. It's very chilly and often wet. So you're far better off staying at home and cozying up with a sensible podcast like this one. We've had a lovely email from Charlotte who says, just wanted to drop you a thank you for your honest reviews and recommendations and getting me excited about viewing again. Really loving the dynamic of the two of you together with the age difference. Yeah, steady on, Charlotte. <laughs> and can't wait to see how you grow together as you get to know each other. Oh. I mean adorable yes it is charlotte then goes on to say that she thinks afterlife is one of the most beautifully written pieces of television she's ever seen and it has her howling with laughter one minute sobbing her heart out the next and it is a special work of art from a very special human i do think that afterlife just touches so many people it does but isn't it interesting that it also some people simply won't watch it on principle because they quotes don't like ricky gervais mm. and i have a particular sympathy with those people because i think i might have been one of them once and then i tried it because I had to for this podcast <laughs> and I thought wow I have not really appreciated um there is a special genius at work here absolutely and I'm really glad that this this podcast is getting both of us out of our comfort yeah, zones of watching it, it is we you know I yeah. definitely have my regular stuff that I will always switch on and things that I will always avoid and you kind of suggesting certain things to watch each week is getting me watching them and actually sometimes enjoying them. And maybe I'll eventually get you to watch something called terrestrial television. <laughs> Never heard of it. Have you ever heard of the 10 o'clock news? <laughs> it's on at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> thank you so much to Charlotte anyway for getting in touch. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Charlotte. And uh, she's invited us around for tea, but um, I'm actually, um, I can't on that day that you've invited us. But, you know, fling some other dates at us and we'll see what we can I'll do. I'll be there. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com. Now, we're going to talk about Channel 5's The Teacher shortly, uh, but let's get stuck into Forbidden America, the new series of documentaries made for BBC Two by Louis Theroux. So the first programme is Extreme and Online, and that is on Sunday, 13th of February, BBC Two at nine o'clock in the evening. And that is about right-wing influencers and, um, well, basically the role that social media and various platforms have played in their ability to spread their rather unpleasant, well, more than rather unpleasant word, uh, far and wide. Uh, there's also one about porn and the porn industry, more specifically, called Porn's Me Too, uh, in which Louis makes the case that the Me Too movement has made the porn industry a rather different place and perhaps a safer one, uh, certainly for some performers. And there's another one called Rap's New Frontline, which you've seen. Really. Yes, which is about, um, it's kind of about different kind of music coming out of Florida and in particular the ones that glamorise gun culture and it's all about sort of gang warfare, these men who are being shot by each other 
and then writing music that also glamorises the guns that are killing them. Uh, We'll get to hear what uh, Rihanna thinks of these programmes in a moment, but first, have a listen to my interview with Louis Theroux. First of all, let's let's talk about the porn doc. Why did you want to make that one? What happened was I was doing these shows last year where I checked in with people I'd, I'd met before. It was at the height of lockdown and the, you, you couldn't really do much in the way of location filming. Like a lot of presenters, I was doing these sort of update type shows. And one of the things I learned while, while recording a, a remote interview with an, with an old contributor who'd been a porn director was that the chief porn agent, Derek Hay, had a big legal case. And I immediately thought, well, that's intriguing because that world of porn, because it's still in certain respects sort of viewed as taboo and disreputable and somewhat illicit, it's also sort of less policed, you know, slightly roguish, I'm putting it kindly, disreputable personalities thrive in that world. And, and I, you know, a lot of bad stuff happens. And I thought, well, this is a chance to look at that. You've already mentioned it, but it's the lived hypocrisy, isn't it? It's the fact that people are using it, billions of people are using it, and nobody really is talking about the impact of it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, which is kind of like the central... We got to the central theme of everything I try and do in my work quite quickly. Like, I think, in a way, it's the myriad hypocrisies, which I share in, by the way, that, you know, that are part of the human condition that I'm kind of interested in. There's a a hint, perhaps more than a hint, that the Me Too movement is giving some of the performers, particularly the female performers, more power than they've ever had before in this world. Do you believe that to be true? Well, it's it's that and something else that's maybe more significant, which is that social media platforms... Thanks to direct access to their fans and consumers, someone like Mia Malkova, who we interviewed, that's her porn name, sort of 20-something-year-old porn performer who's had about 10 years in the business, she describes making between $150,000 and $250,000 a month, you know, several million dollars a year, just on one particular social media subscription site. So she doesn't need directors and she doesn't need producers. And she now can speak out and say, speak her truth and that goes across the board. So, so yeah, and that is, your question was, is that happening? Very much so. That's, that's absolutely happening. What you do notice in, in all of that, and there's plenty of other uh, scenes, well, we hear porn being shot rather than seeing it, thank God. Um, it's the least, I hate the word sexy, but it's the least sexy thing imaginable, isn't it? The business of porn, when you actually see it at the level that, that you're able to show us, it's it's so well, unerotic. As you know, Jane, I'm a professional and I'm always in a work mode. So even if it were sexy, I would disable my sexy circuits for the <laughs> for the duration of the shoot. Listen, some of the women are obviously attractive, but when you see the nuts and bolts, no pun intended, it's quite evidently not being done for pleasure for them a day at the office. And so that's not yeah. particularly sexy. I, I genuinely see sex workers work and valid work. And and I know that's quite controversial in some quarters. You know, these stories are hard to tell because, you know, enlightened, thoughtful, intelligent people can disagree passionately about mm. what it means to, ha- to be paid to have sex. Yeah. But it's really hard to figure out the line sometimes. I mean, look, I'm not out to get you for your porn use because I suspect almost everybody who ever hears this interview or reads the interview will have used porn. So, But has porn played a part throughout your life, your personal life? I, I mean, in my life, of course, I've 
been a user of porn. And, you know, I sort of see it as a bit like, um, I don't know, maybe this sounds harsh, but it's a bit like junk food, right? It's not something you're especially proud of using, but there are times in your life when either you can't get a decent meal or you're in a rush or you're just try, you're trying to get a need met. The other documentary that I've seen is Extreme and Online. I mean, I'm sure you've had this conversation with everybody involved, but to what extent are you validating these people and their awful messages by giving them any attention? It would be one thing to give these guys an uncritical platform, somewhere like, uh, you know, Question Time or the Oxford Union, where a lot of these protests take place, right? But for me, as a documentary maker, I guess we took the leap of faith that as a team, that with our experience and track record as a production, having covered similar stories in the past, that we would be able to bring the necessary level of acuity and responsibility to the subject. You end up being used by them to make content, don't you? You're exactly right. By the end, a uh, condition for the final interview is that I, when I interview, um, he's called Baked Alaska, who's a far-right um, influencer. He, he says, oh, well, I'm going to be streaming, so if you interview me, I'm going to be live streaming. Um, yeah. Why was he called Baked Alaska? His real name is Antim Gionet, and he grew up in Alaska. He used to get stoned a lot. Getting stoned, the slang for that is getting baked. Right. He was always baked, so they called him Baked Alaska. But the other, I mean, the curious thing, that there's a guy called, who I'd, I had not heard of, Nicholas J. Fuentes, until I watched this. Um, he is a, a de he's what my grandmother might have called a chump. He doesn't think women should have the vote. Um, he doesn't think there should be any immigration, although you don't actually even bother to tell him that he wouldn't have been there in the first place if America... This is true. You know, yeah, he's, he's actually mixed race himself. He's intelligent and, and extremely articulate, and so he has this sort of oratorical power. I'm trying to be as accurate as possible in how I characterise them because I don't want to fall into the trap of um, sort of fa failing to see the qualities that make them appeal to yeah, so many I, people. Yeah, and to be fair to you, I think that's the trap I fell into watching it. My attitude is exactly why he's getting an audience, isn't it? They call it triggering the libs, right? It, you could say it's the strongest sort of weapon in their arsenal is, is, is the ability to trigger outrage by doing things that are re relatively inconsequential, but they give them an assumed meaning. I very much tried to pick my battles and actually n keep my emotions in check, which yeah. turns out to be one of my superpowers, yes. by the way. How do you do that? Because there are times when you're confronted by, well, um, certainly threatening behaviour. You're quite tall, aren't you? How tall are you? I'm uh, six feet, two and a half. OK, that pro that probably isn't insignificant. I'm sure it helps. And I've been doing a lot of Joe Wicks, which I've made no secret of in lockdown. In fact, I did a Joe Wicks right before I came on this call chain. I, I used to be a slightly, you know, almost play up to the idea of being a sort of cringing sort of um, geek or, 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 or fumbling, mumble, bumbling sort God, of... You were, slight, you were a very effective fey Englishman, weren't you? And I mean, that's a good that's way of putting it. It turns out in this world, I pass for something as relatively physically powerful, right? Which I know it sounds utterly bizarre to even say. Spoiler alert, I don't think it's a huge spoiler, but one of the people I come across is this guy who, who's been at this conference, this far-right conference, and then we turn up at his house. And in the meantime, I've found these pictures that appear to show him doing Hitler's sort of Nazi salutes. 
and I confront. More, I, I don't even confront. Might even be too strong a word. Like I just bring them up, as I would hope any journalist would, and he takes offence. But he's really small. Yes. And he's, you know, these guys are gamers. They live online. You know, it's no coincidence that one of the reasons that sort of extreme politics as it exists on the internet appeals to them is that a lot of them don't do that well in the real world, or at least they're just more comfortable just with people on computers gaming and, you know, rather than going around kicking a football, right, or sparring at the gym. There was this odd thing where I was watching the rushes, like, God, I... I look twice his size. I, like, I look like I could more or less snap him like a twig. Was this, the, this was the guy wearing a T-shirt with your face on it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, which I don't think helped his cause all that much, although I think he thought he was being terribly clever, didn't he? he was, um... I, yeah, it was an ironic joke, but it was, it was odd because he threw me out. It was really, something really surreal about throwing, being thrown off the property of someone who's wearing your face on their T-shirt. <laughs> but also the debate with myself was like, should I have just sort of said, you know what, I don't think I am going to leave. Why don't you make me? I honestly think uh, if it had come to it, I would have got the better of him. I'd quite like to have seen that, but never mind. I know, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, like, that's my whole brand is it's sort of not getting into physical altercations. Yes, it would have been off Potentially brand changing, maybe brand damaging. Mm, or deeply enhancing of your brand, who knows? Um, yeah, maybe. There's an element of performance in almost every contributor you speak to and you kind of cut, you very elegantly will cut through the performative aspects of what they're bringing to the conversational party. But to, to, to what degree are you a performer, do you think? On camera, I mean, when you're doing it. I am a performer. I mean, in the sense of, look, I don't want to get too sort of uh, semantic or, but, you know, we all in our work mode have performances. You know, if you work in retail or sales, there's a performative aspect. I do, I do know that when I'm on location and I'm interviewing someone, I'm conscious of there being a camera there and, and, and that this isn't simply about eliciting, you know, as it might be in, in a print interview, eliciting some piece of information, but actually that, there's a need for an exchange, an intelligible, enjoyable exchange to take place, right? But it's not a performance in the sense of me being untrue to who I am, I don't think. And, and is it easier, in speech marks, for you to make shows in the States rather than Britain? Because I'm just conscious that there are so many... I mean, the county lines, for example, the number of young men who've died on the streets of London in the last 12 months, it is truly horrific. Wouldn't that be really fertile ground for you to, to get it involved It would be. In? I'd love to do something like that. And I have, I have obviously done programmes in the UK. I think there's two things. One is simply that in America, well, there's, it being, it's, it's a vast country. It's a socially chaotic... You know, we all, we're all fascinated by America. There's what, nearly 300 million people there. Or it's a sort of pe petri dish of competing ideas and ways of life and everything's going on there. There's also the fact of the American temperament, it being sort of unselfconscious and feeling it, it is somewhat performative in a weird way. Like people enjoy, to make a crass generalisation, the experience of being on TV. The other part of it, of course, is that I have a lower profile. I have virtually no profile in the US. So I arrive as someone who's not necessarily known although that, that that has changed and i'm easily googleable yeah um but I, at least on the streets or in, or at events i don't attract attention like an issue here especially if i'm out on location filming in a public place at a supermarket at a demonstration i'm liable to be approached for selfies 
which I normally would be happy to to do, but it's just weird to be doing it while I'm trying to film. That was Louis Theroux uh, talking to me. Wouldn't you like to see him make documentaries in Britain again? Yes, yes I would. I, I do. Really I would. mean, it's he's absolutely right, but so are you. I think there is there are all sorts of corners in our own backyard that we don't know about. I don't know. I, I think there's probably a brilliant documentary to be made about middle-class drug abuse or something in Britain that, mm-hmm. that I would like to see and I'd love to see him do it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he's not doing it in the, in the short term. He's made these programmes. What did you think? Yeah, Louis Theroux is, I do find, quite a fascinating filmmaker because he, he does, as we kind of talked about earlier, he does sort of insert himself into these documentaries. His personality is as, is as important as the people he's interviewing often. And he's very kind of calm with them. Yeah. The way he simply stands yeah. and lets them unfurl. Yeah, unfurl. It's a good way of putting it. He has become sort of so popular and recognisable. They can all not just about Googling him, but they can sort of anticipate what might come with him. And I think sometimes people that he speaks to in these documentaries want that sort of exposure. And I wonder what you were just saying about if we did it in the UK, these people don't necessarily, they know what that kind of exposure can do and it's not good. Yeah. Whereas in America, there is still that idea of if you're on camera in any capacity, that's amazing. I think he's basically making the point, isn't he, that everybody in America says yes to yes. any kind of opportunity to yes. perform, to be interviewed, to put themselves out there. The concern, I think, if you if you watch the film he's made about the far-right influences... Extreme and online, yeah. Yeah, I, I found that deeply concerning in the sense, and, and Louis is more than aware of this, the idea that he has effectively, through, the, through this documentary, mm. given a platform to people who may well, unfortunately, find... God, some sort of, heaven forbid, but some sort of audience in Britain too. That's exactly what, you know, exactly what went through my mind because it is incredibly well made, but it is giving kind of voice and interest and publicity to these people. It's so hard because you think, well, if you ignore that problem, it's not going to go away either. It's kind of preaching to the converted with a lot of the people who are going to watch this documentary. It's not going to necessarily change minds. It's just going to make us feel like America is becoming even more extreme than we thought. So I don't think it's going to particularly change anything. Um, But it is a fascinating watch and it is interesting to see these worlds which are so... I mean, I haven't seen the the one about the porn industry, but certainly the rap world and this extreme far-right world are so devoid of women. It was so male-centric. Well, there are women, you'll be unsurprised to hear, in the porn documentary, but they're... Well, to be fair, he, he meets one woman who would certainly say that the new world of platforms is allowing her Mm. to be in control of her own career Mm -hmm. in a way that in the past she emphatically was not. Yes. However, there are some other really troubling aspects, Mm -hmm. I think, of that documentary on porn. But if you're not a little bit troubled by pornography, and and, and, particularly by the industry, then you're probably not asking enough questions. But <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I would urge people to what I haven't seen the, the rap one. Which... So this is this is quite an this is another interesting one because it's about gun crime right. and the links with rap and drill and all of these different types of music. So it is giving a loudspeaker to something that 
we know exists, um, but we're seeing the faces, we're seeing the people who are left behind. There was a really fascinating point of the documentary where a man kind of films a rap video at his friend's funeral. His friend has been shot dead. And then you see him filming this music video where he's surrounded by guns and is glamorising gun culture. And and Louis is questioning this throughout. And it's just they it's just the the links aren't quite matching up somehow. Right. Or doesn't they, quite fit together for you. No, uh, no, not it just feels like, well, why? But these are people who are rappers are earning a hell of a lot of money online. So it's not even thanks to poverty that they're stuck in this circle, but it's it is a culture. Mm. It's that I mean it is fascinating. He I think he brilliantly undercuts some of the um far right individuals, I'm trying to think of the right word for them, in, in <laughs> extreme and online by, there's one objectionable man uh, who calls himself Baked Alaska. Baked Alaska! I had the same pet tunnel as Baked Alaska, which troubled me. Well, very few of us can say that, but Louis refers to him, I think he just calls him Baked. Yes! <laughs> and that, that just it, it hints, more than hints, the total absurdity of this, <laughs> this world. Very, very funny. It's just one of the small things about these documentaries that make them so watchable. You may not always agree with some of the views he has, and you certainly won't like all of the people who feature, but they are really, really watchable. I should say Louis is on the cover of this week's Radio Times, out today. Looking dapper. Looking very dapper. In a striking image, he has a red roll neck jersey, and the roll neck is a very COVID-friendly way, uh, right over his nose. Make sure you get it. A really good cover this week with Louis in a red roll neck. Before Christmas, uh, you won't have forgotten, well, Rihanna certainly won't, that I was unwell with the COVID. And that meant that David Butcher of the Radio Times appeared on the podcast instead. Now, we thought we'd make more use of the brilliant David, who's got such excellent historical knowledge of telly. And because Louis Theroux has just done so much stuff, we're going to put David on the spot and let him pick... Butcher's Choice Cuts, which this week is dedicated to Louis Theroux. David, was this a pleasant task for you, going through the best of Louis? Yeah, it was great. It was really interesting looking back. I think he is an extraordinary figure in in British factual television, isn't he? he if, you, if you asked most people on the street to, to name a documentary maker, they'd probably say David Attenborough and Louis Theroux, I think. So it's been interesting looking back, actually. Yeah, and his critics, David... I, I suspect most of them are just, they're a bit jealous, aren't they? I think possibly. I think if you're one of the kind of career documentary makers that you get, a fair few of in British television who toil away researching a film, you know, to make a big, important sort of documentary feature that literally takes years and huge amounts of research and access and so on, I think sometimes they resent the fact that all Louis seems to do is sweep in, uh, have a few chats with people, meet some really peculiar kind of crazy characters and then gets hugely praised for that. And they see it as a maybe a little bit shallow or irresponsible or whatever. But I kind of think he can tackle big issues and people will watch his shows because they're Louis shows, um, whereas they won't watch a kind of thoughtful 90-minute expose of of drugs, crime in America or something. And he can do that in a way that brings people to the stories and and makes them very human. I think that's one of his great gifts. He he takes complicated issues and, and makes them feel real and, and gets us closer to the characters. Take us through then your Butcher's Choice Cuts. All these docs are available on iPlayer. And we start with Dark State's Heroin Town. Here's a clip. So your grandparents are at church now? Mm-hmm. So they don't know we're here? No. 
No. And they don't know you're using? No. That's weird, isn't it? It's super weird. Nobody knows. How did you get started? Well, I was in a car accident and I broke my neck. So I kept having all this pain and I was going to doctors and they just kept handing me pain pills, literally throwing them down, down my throat. How did that lead to you being addicted to heroin? I told the doctor, I said, look, I'm addicted to these, 100%, no doubt about it. I'm sick, I'm puking, I can't do anything. You've got to help me. The doctor cut me off cold turkey. He says, I don't know what to tell you. Have a great day. Tell us about this one then, David. What's, what's it like? This is a story that we all know a lot more about now, and there have been series like Dope Sick uh, on Disney+. Uh, Plus. He wasn't the first to talk about it, but it was one of the first films that I saw about it over here, and it's extraordinary. He goes to this place, um, Huntington in, in West Virginia, where I think one in four adults have some kind of addiction to, to strong opiates or heroin. One of the first people he meets in the in the programme, he walks in and she just disappears to the bathroom, and he says, she's not she's not shooting up now is she and she is and she says sorry i just i just need to have a uh, a little rinse you know it's nothing nothing heavy just a little rinse and you realize it's just such an everyday thing to her and that's the kind of reality that he gets at very well i mean it's a very sad and depressing story but it's a good example of of what of the way he can he can tell stories brilliantly so fans of dope sick will really enjoy this, right? Yes, if you want to see the 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 awful reality of that dope sick is getting at, then I think it's a, it's a good place to look. And your next one is Law and Disorder in Milwaukee. I don't think I've heard of. I don't know anything about this one. Well, he did a couple of Law and Disorder films, looking at how gun crime and drug crime were kind of out of control. Uh, not just in the states, actually. He did one in Johannesburg, I remember but also that policing was out of control. And I think he was getting at something that actually then came out uh, in the George Floyd murder, in the Black Lives Matter movement, that a certain kind of hardline policing shaded over into out-and-out brutality and dangerous brutality. was sort of torn between this Milwaukee film and one he made in Philadelphia, where there are also sort of comic interludes. And that's something he, he's very good at doing, is bringing in stuff that, that seems almost too flippant given the context but he's suddenly chatting to the local drug lord who's a guy called Reds and he just comes across him on the street and sort of gets out and starts chatting to him in quite a brave way actually and the guy it turns out is is completely high and kind of delirious and then he's kind of arrested on camera it paints an extraordinary picture that I think you could spend a long time making a, a a heavy film about drug culture in America and not get at the human reality in the way that he does. The next one you've picked, David, Altered States, Love Without Limits. Now, what's this? Well, this is when uh, he goes to Portland, Oregon, which is a famously sort of quite out there hippie kind of city in America. And he's looking at the polyamory community. So people who who are in non-monogamous relationships, basically thruples is the, it was the first time I'd ever heard the expression thruples. <laughs> um, there are some quite sad elements to the story. And you can see that it's sometimes clearly they find it very joyous. Other times, not everybody's cool with it. There's a, a memorable scene where he goes to, I think it's called a, a blindfolded sensual dinner, which is a sort of swingers party in layman's terms, I guess. But he ends up having to sort of strip off and be blindfolded and be fed 
strawberries by topless women and so on. It's quite sweet in a way, but it's also, he looks, as he admits, he's he's quite uptight about this stuff and he looks wonderfully awkward. And it's slightly as if you've, you're sort of watching a, a kind of vicar who's wandered into a brothel by mistake or something. And it's classic Louis. I love the idea of that. I need to put that on my watch list. Um, next up is one that I think a lot of people will remember. This is When Louis Met the Hamiltons. Remind us of this. This is going right back to 2000 and it was kind of a breakthrough film for him. It was after this that he started to, to cross over into, into the being better known. And that was partly because he had a huge stroke of luck in a sort of journalistic sense that while he was making this film about Neil and Christine Hamilton. He was a disgraced former Tory MP. Um, she was self-described kind of battle axe. They were formidable, but they were they were quite weird, which is the which is the sort of character that he likes. But they got arrested for indecent assault while he was making the film with them, and so he went with them to the police station for this arranged arrest. There's a, a press pack gather, and he ends up sort of in the car with the Hamiltons as they're being pursued by reporters and photographers. Um, I mean, as it turned out, we should say that they were completely um, exonerated. It was a malicious accusation with no merit at all. But seeing how they dealt with that and in a, in a strange way took it in their stride because they slightly seemed to pride themselves on being a bit saucy and X-rated. It was very, very peculiar. And it was it was a real kind of clash of cultures thing as well between him and these two Tory figures from a very fairly sort of establishment kind of background. It's quite funny. I mean, it's a long time ago, but it's quite interesting seeing a much younger Louis uh, who's a bit more sort of boyish and eager than he is in the way he makes his films now. It's seeing how his, his, his approach has evolved over the, whatever it is, 22 years since or something. And finally, his critics, and he does have them, as we've said, they like to pick on the original Jimmy Savile documentary and say, you didn't see through, you didn't see through Jimmy Savile, which does make me laugh because nobody <laughs> saw through Jimmy Savile, including prime ministers, members of the royal family and his long-term employer, the BBC. So um, it's a bit rich to point the finger at Louis Theroux, isn't it? I think it is, but I think that doesn't stop him feeling bad about it. They were really just making a film about a slightly ridiculous ageing DJ who was a, a kind of larger-than-life cartoonish figure. And they thought there was something maybe a bit weird going on in his private life because he didn't have any friends, he'd never had any relationships. And so they, they tried to get at something there. But then actually they got stick in the press for being a bit kind of rough with this national treasure. He's just an old man. Why are you kind of bullying him on screen, asking him about his private life? And he made, then made a film in 2016, going back and looking at the original film and talking to Savile's victims and people who worked with him, that is a really interesting, and that's the one that I, I, I'd, I'd recommend to people, and you see parts of the original film in it as well. But it's a very interesting study of how that, the kind of power that Savile used, the bullying, the sort of celebrity force field that he brought with him, how that was very powerful in enabling their their crimes. And here's, here's an intro to that 2016 sort of recap film that Louis made. This footage is of a visit Jimmy Savile made to my house in 2001. One of my reasons for keeping in touch was that I thought there was a side to him I hadn't seen. All right then. Good Thanks morning. for coming by. Okay, good morning. And if you, ever, if you ever do need a place to crash in London, you've seen you've got a room upstairs. Thank you. I'm serious. Thank you very much. I appreciated that. But I never found out the truth. 
while he was alive. Obviously, Louis kind of beats himself up about essentially missing what would have been the, the, the scoop of the century. But as you say, we all did. We were all hoodwinked. Uh, he fooled everybody and it was only after his death uh, that all this came out. Thank you very much, David. Really appreciate it. That is the inaugural Butcher's <laughs> Choice Cuts. All those great documentaries, and they are all really interesting, but for, for different reasons, as David outlined there. They're all available on the iPlayer now. David, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Our final review this week is The Teacher. All four episodes are available on My5 now. It stars Sheridan Smith, and here is a clip from the trailer. One bad word, and your reputation could crumble. Miss, what about your reputation? What I do in my spare time is none of your business. There's been a report of inappropriate behaviour between yourself and a pupil. What? I need you to stay away from the school. You've been accused of engaging in a sexual act with a minor. I have blackouts on a drink. I don't remember anything. Kyle, what have you said to the police? He's so creepy, always trying to be friends with the kids. Oh, OK. Um, this is one of those dramas that really got people talking. Yes. I don't know. Well, I've seen it. I'm halfway through it. I will certainly finish this show. And will you? I absolutely will. But am I wrong? Uh, that's why I'm looking at Rihanna <laughs> that's now. That's the question. Well, am is, I wrong? It is the question. It stars Sheridan Smith, who's... I mean, she's great. Yeah, so she plays Jenna Garvey, yes. an English teacher. And it's a did-she-didn't-she she story about um, her favourite pupil claiming to have had sex with her. And, and he's only 15. He's only 15. He's played by Samuel Bottomley, who fans of Ackley Bridge and the brilliant ladhood might recognise. Also Sharon Rooney, who um, she was in Dumbo, but she was also in My Mad Fat Diary. And she plays a school child in that. And in this, she's trying to be head of department, which I just think is brilliant. Yeah, she's made quite a leap, hasn't she? She's not a nice person. No, she isn't. She's absolutely terrifying, very ruthless and ambitious and also kind of wants the best for her daughter. Calvin Fletcher is also in it. Yes, who won Strictly. And was in Emmerdale and now has a farm, like almost everybody else in show business. <laughs> um, there's a really lovely interview this week in The Independent with Sheridan Smith, which I found really moving, actually, because it, it sort of reminded us of her fragility and what she's been through in her personal life and perhaps what she then brings to all of these characters yeah. that she's playing. She was in Four Lives recently. Which is about the, the victims of the serial killer Stephen Port. Yes, yeah. playing the mother of one of the victims. And again, she she is showing us a sort of new sight, a slightly more mature side, and we're seeing these really vulnerable women that yeah. that she's sort of taking on and it feels incredibly real and natural and she's always been really natural and realistic and I just think she's brilliant what do you think of her in this? I do think she's great in this and the truth is we were talking earlier every one of us can remember either a story from our lives or from our siblings lives or whatever of one of those teachers a teacher about whom people used to talk. Yes. May not have been accurate talk, but there was always talk. Rumours. Yes. Always rumours. And it is clever, this, because regardless, we don't know immediately if this is something we, that we she's don't done. Know. No. Or, or hasn't she done. She doesn't know. She doesn't know, but it's clever because there are definitely blurry lines and boundary issues. We see her sort of touching this boy's arm, smiling at him. Or it could simply be a genuine a teacher trying to give a bit of encouragement to a 
pupil who's not having the easiest time. No, that's true. I, I, I just, I think it's not too far from the truth. Yeah, this. which is, I think is why it has got people talking, which Channel 5 will be delighted about yes. because they, they've shown it on Terrestrial Channel 5. It was on, I think it was trending on Twitter every night it was on. And really, for a channel like that, that's what they want, isn't it? And now, if you have missed it, it's all there for you on My 5. Absolutely. It's great. And I, I mean, it is salacious and it's yes. lurid and yes. it is completely over the top. And I and shouldn't the, have been watching it. And you do feel a little bit dirty watching it, actually. And that's not... You're not, you're, you know, we don't really see anything inappropriate no. going on because it is, it's kind of told through blackouts and really grainy footage and all the rest of it. But it, it, you do just feel like you're watching something that you shouldn't be watching because it's such a taboo subject. And yet, as you say, we all know or think we know somebody who has experienced this, whether it's actual abuse of power or whether it is just flirtation. But or whether it happened at all. Exactly. And also this is this points to all of those that sort of litigious environment that we yeah. now live in where some teachers will think that they're not doing anything wrong in certain scenarios but just look at it from another angle which we see in the series mm. and they're doing something very wrong it just it takes yeah. one person looking at it in a slightly different way and suddenly someone's whole career could come tumbling down around their ears and that's a terrifying thing to go into truly terrifying okay it's the show we've both watched it's the show we'll both finish but we both agree it made us feel and it's going to continue to make us feel a little bit funny uneasy (laughs) it is uneasy making but very bingeable very bingeable and it's the teacher and you'll find it now with Sheridan Smith and Kelvin Fletcher on My Five guess what it's time for Uh, it's not the fanfare is it (laughs) it is what we watched the quiz to end all quizzes Well, that's marginally better than the last one. I mean, we actually had a complaint we did. about this this fanfare. And to be honest, I uphold that complaint. I hated it. I was sympathetic to the complaint <laughs> as well. And we've listened and we've made that improvement. Podcast at radiotimes.com. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter and Insta at Radio Times. Get your complaints in. We love them. We don't just want praise. Um, we want the other stuff. Right, the quiz. The quiz. It's my turn to ask you about TV and popular culture in this mystery year, which you have to guess from my very cryptic clues. So your first clue is that EastEnders was broadcast on BBC One for the first time ever. Here's a clip where Reg Cox... You must remember Reg Cox. Oh, he's dead, isn't he? He's found dead. Yeah. Oh, stinks in here, doesn't it? <coughs> ain't working. Reg! Well, he ain't going to answer now if he didn't answer before, is he? Oh, careful, Arthur. Reg! He's dead. Dead drunk. No, he's dead. No, no, it's not. I can still feel his pulse. Give me a sandwich, it's quick. All right. What do you think it could be? I don't know. Hypothermia, stroke, drink, I don't know. He could have been here like this ever since he's been missing. We didn't notice anything. He does, son. He's a cantankerous old man. Den, go and get the doc quick. Right. And the best thing you can do is go and get dressed. All right. Den? Do we hear Den then? Yeah. Gosh, and Arthur. And Arthur. R.I.P. Yes, well, Arthur had a tough time, didn't he? With Pauline. 
Pauline Fowler, yeah. all the kiddies. Uh, and then he, he got depression and things. To, anyway, um, there was EastEnders, that starting was really as it meant to go on with quite a depressing scene. I love that they, it's a clip where Reg is, is found dead, but they can still feel a pulse in this corpse. I don't know if that quite Yes, it, maybe not, not one for the people training in medicine. But anyway. Um, so the second okay. clue is the World Snooker Championship final <laughs> between Dennis Taylor and Steve Davis drew BBC Two's highest ever rating of 18.5 million viewers. What? Were you one of them? No. Were you watching avidly? But I'm afraid <laughs> I've now decided I do know the year, but carry on. Oh, go on. OK, well, here's a clip. Here's a clip. This is really unbelievable. Yeah. He's done it. Dennis Taylor, for the first time, becomes Embassy World Snooker Champion. He is so thrilled. And a sad champion, Steve Davis, looks on. Snooker, as exhilarating to listen to yes, as it is to watch. indeed. Um, Dennis Taylor was the guy who wore the glasses upside down. Sure. Trust me on that. I will. Another clue, please. The final clue is Manchester United win the FA Cup for the sixth time in their history with a 1-0 win over Everton in the final at Wembley Stadium. So I know that you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah. So are you kind of always happy when Everton lose? No, not really. I'd much rather Manchester United lost than Everton. Sadly, they didn't. Yeah. Here they are. Quite a few clues in there. Norman was, White. Yeah, Norman side. White side. Yes, that was John Motti Motson. Oh, yeah. Doing Norman the commentary. Uh, okay, gosh, actually, I was more convinced earlier on than I am now. It's either 1984 or 1985. Got to pick one. And I remember watching the very first episode of EastEnders in my student house in Birmingham on a, I think it was winter time. It was freezing. I remember that. Do you remember what you might have been dancing to? Would it have been Crazy For You by Madonna? Because that went to number one in this year. 85. It is 85. Yes. Good one. Well Back done. Got a round of applause in yeah, the booth over Loving there. it here at Production Towers. <laughs> oh, well done me. That was superb. <laughs> If this has provoked TV memories of your own, please let us know. It's podcast at radiotimes.com or we're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. Where were you? 1985, I do remember because um, we all crowded around our very small student telly in our very small house to enjoy the first episode of this new thing the BBC was going on about on terrestrial television because we didn't know any other kind existed, Rihanna. <laughs> um, if you want a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about today, then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Do follow and join us every week. The Radio Times podcast is produced by... Something else. For... Immediate Media. Yes, it is. We got that right. Have a lovely week. Take care. Thanks. 